my beautiful friends. My name is Krista Lakshmidetten, coming to you from San Diego, California. And today I welcome you to our podcast, Abundance in Action. And our very first guest and co-creator, Michael Ditton, is in the house. Welcome. Thank you very much. So Michael is an amazing king. I have been so lucky to have found you in Mexico in a little fishing village where we met. And um, you are a man with a big M. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, Michael has been uh, growing up in Santa Barbara. Uh, You have had um, the spirit of entrepreneur from early on when you were like eight years old, you started to um, do your little project um, on the book. We have this little wagon. Wagon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, where you had the vegetables from your garden and um, your mom could get um, some help. Um, so you got the vegetables out mm-hmm. and then um, extra money you got, you bought some new, um, I think, fruit trees to invest yeah. into new business. Yeah. And from there, uh, early on, you started to work in uh, different uh, small businesses, hamburger um, a ven- vendor and then later um, in the bis- uh, pizza business and from there you basically stepped into uh, purchasing your uh, first uh, apartment home, mm-hmm. home. and mm-hmm. then from there uh, things were rolling uh, finally you ended up uh, starting to do real estate and at one point you were actually running five different companies mm-hmm. And then at one point you got tired and thought like, okay, now it's time to enjoy some life. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just uh, started to cruise on your uh, new uh, boat. Mm -hmm. And you did like uh, 10 years uh, up and down the west uh, coast of Mexico, enjoying life. And uh, you were married um, 23 years uh, before we met. And from there, another chapter started you met um, Estonian girl Mm -hmm. and uh, new chapters with like people and country you had not really even heard of started so Mm -hmm. um, quite an adventure you've had life life I believe living life is an adventure yeah Mm -hmm. so um, when we go back I've always been interested about this uh, question do you think um, we become who we are because of the people and surroundings or um, do we have quite a bit to say ourselves as well? So if you take like where you grew up and what was surrounding you, what you were doing as the first years of your life, um, how has that influenced who you are today? Well, you know, certainly personality has a lot to do with that. Um, somebody that would have the, the desire or drive or something. I'm not going to say it's the only thing. Um, you know, it, it can be a motivating factor. Um, also, you know, the support system that you have. Um, and I was very blessed that my, my parents did support me in the crazy things that I did do. Um, so, you know, if I didn't have that adventure in me, I might not have had to drive to do it where my parents might have had to support me in a different way to do something. So it could have still turned out to be the same. I don't know. There's no way you can kind of go back and, and do that. But, you know, I do believe that 
personality has a lot to do with it. Your support system has a lot to do with it. And for me, I think anybody that, and the reason I, I have a book called Dreams, Goals, and Adventure, I, I wrote it to inspire people never to lose sight of their dreams. And I believe if everybody has a dream or goal that they want to achieve, they can pretty much do anything they desire. So um, whether it be something simple and small or something totally grand and grand happens, you know, we've, we've been to the moon. We've got, um, you know, Musk along with Bezos now um, kind of competing to get to Mars first. Um, you know, we've got cars that are driving themselves. None of this was a realistic thing, not that long ago. Um, but it became somebody's goal or dream to continue to develop and create stuff that's new. So um, whatever it is, if somebody has that desire to do it, they will do it. And I don't know if any of these people that have been successful in life have, you know, started off with that, you know, personality or that support system, or in some cases, actually, I know people that are just the opposite. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to butcher this or not, but from what I understand, Tony Robbins, you know, he, he pretty much had nothing. And when he started, he, his idea was to serve others. And he started more or less in a soup kitchen serving others and look where he's at today. So, you know, he actually was motivated because he didn't have and and you know we just taught something here not too long ago with COVID-19 actually happening you know to turn fear to courage and when we started positive infusion and we started doing these webinars the 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 most common thing we said because we know a lot of people are going to be challenged in today's you know scenario is you can either let fear paralyze you or you can let fear motivate you and as long as you have something to work towards it's much easier to have it motivate you if you don't have a dream or don't have a goal then it's really hard to overcome the fear because you don't know why you're even trying to overcome the fear other than the fact that it's not comfortable and you don't like it so you know um Yes, it does play a factor. Um, is it the key ingredient? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, I I think, you know, for, for me, it's just me. Yeah, it depends on the personality. It really does. Personality is key, I think. Like in my case, I feel that I have become who I am because of the hardships I had as, right. as a kid. and the things I didn't have and that I grew up in Soviet Estonia. So today and uh, traveled so many countries and lived in so many countries is actually uh, proven that I am in connection with my inner resources and I can tap into them wherever I am and whatever crisis is coming, I know I can swim up. Well, the biggest thing about overcoming um, any type of adversity, um, fear or anything else, if it ever comes again, or if another type comes, you know that you've gotten through it before. So it's actually kind of a good thing that you experience it because you know what you're capable of. Like when I was sailing my boat home from Panama, I, you know, when I got home and, and I'll share a little bit, people asked me, are you crazy? I mean, you want to go out and sail around the world after what just happened to you? And, you know, yeah, I am a little crazy, but 
what had happened was on the way home from Panama, I was in a, a storm one night and I, you know, a major part of the boat broke off and I was almost lost at sea. It was probably one of the closest, you know, to death experiences I've ever had. Um, but because I managed to, you know, remain calm and do the things I need to, and the partner that I had with me on a boat, we, we did the same. We managed to get through it. And when it's all said and done, I look back and go, I know what I'm capable of, and I know what my boat's capable of. And chances are we'll never experience anything like that again. So, yeah, I'm actually even more prepared to go out and sail the world because I feel better knowing that if it does hit the fan, um, that I know I'm capable of it and the boat's capable of it. And you're prepared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you prepare as much as you can. I mean, you're, you're never fully prepared for especially what happened to me that night, ripping the whole front end of the boat off. But, but you know, just, you know, preparing yourself for anything and using common sense and, and not freaking out, you can normally get through it, anything. And uh, when you look back, uh, do you remember exactly what was the time frame when you had, like you can recall, like this was the first time I had a dream. And then I started to consciously, you know, set goals and work for towards that dream. Do you remember how old you were? What were you dreaming about? I don't remember how old I was. I do remember um, it wasn't actually, a. I don't think it, I would call it a dream at that time. Um, I was probably in my late teens. I was probably around 17 when I decided that I wanted to be financially independent. I wanted to be, you know, have enough money that I didn't have to worry about paying my bills. I wanted to be able to do the things that I wanted to do without yes. worrying about the bank account. That's pretty early. Yeah. Some people didn't even know what that means, financial independence. <laughs> this is true. This is yeah. true. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I called it financial independence. Um, you just at, wanted at the, freedom. I wanted freedom and I wanted financial freedom. Um, and I set a goal for myself for the age of 35 to, to reach that. And it was and something that I was working towards. So what? how would you define financial independence right now? Or what do you think people think of that is? Well, most people, when you say that, they think they got to be as wealthy as Bill Gates. Okay. And that's not, not the, the truth. Realistically, a person as wealthy as Bill Gates can, you know, they're going to be financially independent, but they can have more debt than your common average person. So it's going to be, it's got to be proportionate. So you can be a millionaire and you can owe billions and you're not financially independent. You're not financially free. So financially free is, you know, it's going to be proportionate to wherever you're at in life. But if or, you, or you can also live in Mexico, have no debt and be the richest because you feel the happiest. Yeah. And, and part of that comes that happiness and, and everything else. And that that's kind of it. Basically, financial independence to me means you have no debt. Um, you have the ability to, to pay any of your bills if you have any, uh, you know, the food and, and necessities and everything else. Um, you do have money saved, you know, for for the rainy days and they all do happen. And you're you're very comfortable with you know, if you want to do something, you're not worried about the finances. And that doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. I mean, 
if you live a simple life, it certainly doesn't take a whole lot of money. If you live an extravagant life, then it's going to take more money. So, you know, where you're at or where you want to be in life is going to determine the level of financial independence, you know, that you're going to strive for. And at 35, my goal, I didn't even know really what it was that I was going for, but I just knew that I didn't want to have, I, I didn't want to have to work if I didn't want to by the time I hit 35. And I didn't want to have to worry about money. You know, so that means I would have had to had everything paid off in a nice chunk in the bank or things that were earning me money. And at that time, it was a goal, but I didn't even know how to work properly through goals. I mean, I was a worker. I, I, I started at the age of eight. I'd get out and I'd, I'd bust butt and I'd do things and I'd make it happen and everything else. But I never really had a proper plan to do it. I just kind of did it. So, you know, in my early 20s, with that, I actually lost everything that I had gained because I didn't have a proper plan in motion. And even though I did have a little bit of a rainy day, I had a, an extended rainy day period. And, you know, I ended up, you know, financially and, and mentally bankrupt, uh, divorced. Um, this all came right after Operation Desert Storm. And I pretty much lost everything except they couldn't take my, my little house away. So I had to start all over again. And at that point, you know, the, the financial independence goal that I had set for 35 in my early 20s now looked like, you know, it was there was no way possible that it was going to happen because I'd went so far backwards. I, I, I wouldn't even call it starting all over again. And and that had taken a, a big mental toll on me because a lot of things had, you know, negative things had happened in my life at that time with the divorce and war and and bankruptcy and and uh, coming home with no job, no prospect of a job, I even went to unemployment for help and was denied. And this is a service member coming off of after duty for seven, seven months serving my country. Um, so I had completely given up and, you know, set the goals and dreams up on the shelf and was about to completely forget about them when I realized that that's exactly what I needed to get through what I was going through. I needed to have that goal. I needed to have that dream in order to, to keep that fire, which was almost out at this point, lit underneath me so that I continue to move forward and do what I have to, to make that happen. So, you know, here, here I said it early in 17, things were going great. I was, you know, sale, top sales guys at a company I was working with. Uh, going on trips and, and money in the bank and, you know, vacations and cars. I bought my first house before I was even able to uh, legal age to drink. And then I lost it all. And um, by pulling those dreams and goals back off the shelf, dusting them off in that hard time, I was able to start thinking about what I needed to do to make those happen. And it, it was, it was shortly after that when I realized that a plan was important. And um, this is when I really started realizing, okay, you put the goal and, and the dream out there, you know, and sometimes it's a lofty goal or dream, and it's not something you just go from A to Z and jump over everything else. So that's when you have to figure out, okay, if I want this, what do I need to do to get there? And you start to put those stepping stones in place, those little mini goals or mini things that need to happen in order to get to the end result. And that is exactly what we teach today. And, and I have goalsettingbasics.com. And 
you know, it's simple steps to success and it teaches people it's called goal setting basics. That is the basics. I mean, you, you got to have a goal to start with, and then you got to know that you need to set the little baby steps to achieve the major uh, goal at the end. So um, in my, you know, mid by my mid twenties, I started to figure all this out and I started to put things in motion. And um, I ended up back in California in 1995, still struggling to get ahead after the war in 1990. So it was five year period. I mean, I was, I was moving forward, but um, it was, after I got back to California in 1995 and things really started to fall into place with all the steps that I was putting in the, in the motion where 97, I actually reached that first level of financial independence that I thought I wasn't going to be able to do just a few years before. And again, it wasn't that I had, um, made as much money as Bill Gates or could retire at that point or anything else. But I was in a position where I didn't have to worry about my bills. Um, I made some good decisions. I had now real estate that was uh, earning me money on a monthly basis. Um, I was financially independent, not ready to retire, but uh, I was in a whole different period. In fact, to this day, I carry a hundred dollar bill around and it says four ninety seven on it because it's April 1997 when that happened. And of course I continue to work, through my plan and my program. And within a couple, three, four years after that, I put a five-year plan in motion to, uh, you know, because I was working, I was killing myself. I was working so much. I wanted to go see and enjoy the world. I didn't want to work until I was 60, 65, retire, and then all of a sudden die. So I wanted to make sure that I was able to enjoy it as well. So in 2000, I put a five-year plan into motion to do what I needed to do so that I can take off and spend the next 10 or 15 years going to see the world, enjoy life. And I, I, I missed that goal by two years. It was 2007 before I finally set off to do my 10 year, you know, sailing up and down the Pacific coast of Mexico. So in all of these adventures, uh, a very central topic or theme for you has been uh, being an entrepreneur and also work as such. So you have been from you, you have actually experienced all the layers and levels like uh, being an employee, being an employer. Um, you had at one point like five companies you were running. Uh-huh. And um, as you said, like almost like killed yourself because um, you're, you, you didn't have any free time and you just like work, work, work. Um, so what's the key essence uh, you learned from that time period? And if you uh, would need to, if, if there would be someone and say like, hey, Michael, you could do all this period again, like what would you do differently or what you would suggest other people to do differently when they are in that kind of experience? Well, honestly, I don't know that I do anything differently. And, and yes, I almost killed myself. But you know what? I did it because I had a goal. And that was okay because it was a sacrifice I knew I needed to make for a short period of time so that the reward at the end uh, was phenomenal. So, so you made the carrot so appealing yes, <laughs> that uh, yes. going through it was like kind of. Yeah, but I made thing. sure that during that five years, which turned out to be seven years, it, it wasn't the only thing. So I did have small wins in between. I did enjoy life a little bit. I just, I never lived beyond my means. Um, we did take 
you know, mini vacations that, you know, cruises and other things like that, but I never overspent anything. And I tried, you know, by the time we left, we actually had all of our debt paid. We had a big chunk of money in the bank and everything else. And even though I worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week, there were times where I took, you know, two, three, four days off in a row to go and recharge my batteries and do stuff like that. So it's important that there's a balance, even though it might be really heavy on the work side to accomplish the goals for a five-year period of time so that you can accomplish them. Um, so everything was very tight in and intentional. Nothing everything was, was intentional. Yeah, yeah. And that's like a main yeah. key. Yeah. And, you know, if my goal had been to, let's say, it, at, at 35 to retire at 62, I certainly wouldn't have been putting in 18 hours, uh, you know, a day, you know, over and over and over again until I was 62 because I would have been dead long before that. Um, I would have had to find a better or different balance. But for a five to seven year period, um, you know, it was for me, it was okay to work as hard as I did for that period of time, knowing the result was going to be to take off and and go sail around the world. And um, the entrepreneurship part, um, would you um, share, uh, you know, how is this all coming about because you were in a community you started to see different problems and then you started to actually um, uh, solve them or you know offering solution for people so tell us uh, shortly what those five companies were which you were running and um, uh, what what these top different topics uh, companies had well at the time my main background was real estate and real estate investment and when I decided that I was going to go sailing, I wanted to get more involved in boating. So I took boating classes, um, you know, made sure I, I, I did all the bare boat and night sailing. And uh, I just made sure that I did all that. I also decided that if I was going to outfit my boat, I was probably wanting to do it and save a little bit of money. And I had a buddy that was a manager at West Marine. And I knew if I worked at West Marine, I'd get discounts. So even though I had a full career, um, I called him up and I said, Hey, can I work, you know, a couple days a week and, um, you know, help you out so that I can get discounts. And he says, in fact, I need an assistant manager two days a week. So that worked out real well. Um, I went down in the process of getting the boat. My, the guy that I was helping me bring the boat home, his son was working for another competitor to West Marine, which is a, a company that had been around since the sixties. And he had purchased it from the original owner. Well, he, he had lost interest in the business and the business was starting to deteriorate and he put it up for sale. So my, my buddy's son told him about it and he told me about it. And I said, no way, I'm, I'm not, there's no way I'm gonna, you know, I'm getting ready to go sail. I'm, I'm sailing my, my boat home from Panama so that I can get it outfit and go sail. I'm not about ready to jump into another business again. Of course, with my mentality and background and started thinking about it and everything else. By the time we got home, um, I had decided to take a look at it. So I looked at it. Uh, it was, you know, it was a cool little boating supply store that had some customers. Uh, they were far and few between. I uh, had some inventory and the price was right. So I ended up buying Coast Chandlery. And my landlord happened to be the one of the original owners of Coast Chandlery, and I was I I was to bring Coast Chandlery back to life. And as I started to do that, 
I realized that when they had it, it used to be the entire building. And now I'm just one little piece of the building. And when it was the entire building, they had uh, nautical novelties, clothing, gifts, um, shoes, things of that nature. And I looked around and they, there was only one store that did anything kind of remotely like it. And it was kind of a high end Tommy Bahama stuff. And I knew that there was a market for it. So I went to the owner, the old owner who was my landlord. And I said, what do you think if I brought Smuggler's Cove, which used to be their old company as well, back online? And they said, oh, God, we'd love it. We'd be honored if you brought it back. So now I had Coach Chandler and I brought back Smuggler's Cove. Um, at this time, you know, the Internet thing was still a little bit kind of, you know, fresh and new. And, and we were doing things a little bit differently than we do today. And there was a need for internet in the harbor for all the boaters and the people that were coming through. So I actually set up an internet cafe inside of there and I called it um, Smugglers Network. So now I've got Coast Chandlery, Smugglers Trading and the Smugglers Network, my real estate business, which was still booming. I was still at the top of my uh, pile there. And I said, okay, this is, you know, this is enough, um, you know, I'm, I'm done and I just need to get this up and running and successful so I can turn and sell it. And then I think two years later, there was an electric boat rental business two doors down from us. And I knew the owners, they were actually the boat manufacturers. And unfortunately he and his wife were going through a divorce. Um, they were gonna get rid of that sales location and that lease came available and he wanted to get rid of the four or five boats that he had there. Um, which were kind of like demo boats. So I I talked to my landlord who was the owner of that and started to talk to him about taking over that lease and buying that. And I ended up buying those extra boats and I created going places, which was turned into be an electric boat rental business. Um, so that was the five companies. And, and then I said, okay, okay, I really am stopping now. Um, so, and then- Serial entrepreneur. Yeah. But, but that was enough. That was about all I can handle. And I, I did have some good staff. Um, you know, you got to delegate. You got to have good people. I was very hands-on, so I was always there. Um, and we provided good service, which was is key. So um, that helped get through. And, and then when the time came, I had prepared everything um, the way I needed to. And when I sold everything, it afforded me a very comfortable life afterwards. Yeah. So now I want to bring in two other topics connected to work. So um, before anything, you also had a period of your life where you were uh, driving trucks. Uh -huh. um, I would like to ask a little bit about that time because I know it's quite a challenging profession. And um, some of the key things you learned from that and um, what, why was that um, phase important for, for your life? Yeah, um, actually, it was during that that phase right after Desert Storm where I was um, a little bit lost um, and trying to find something to do. Um, I, there was a defined fork in the road, and I've had a couple of them in my life. This was another one. I, and I was going to go do one thing or this opportunity came up to go back to truck or go to truck driving school and then become a cross-country truck driver. 
And that's why Michael is one of the best drivers. Like whatever car he's driving, I feel so safe. I've never felt so safe. And yeah, thank you. You drive so smooth. And I always wondered where that came from. And then you told me about the truck driving. Case. I became a professional driver and I drove a big rig cross country from Colorado to the East Coast. I averaged probably 3,000 miles a week. And I did that for, uh, I don't remember if it was a year or two, but uh, I needed the the peace and solitude with uh, where I was at in life. It uh, gave me um, it gave me a job which I needed to do, um, gave me the ability to start that thought process on you know what I needed to do again after that. And um, after after a period of time, I, I decided that that was enough. I needed to be back to home, and that wasn't gonna get me where I needed to go. So. Um, you know, it, it was a transition. It was a transition, and it was a much-needed transition at the time. And you had one really dangerous situation there um, one time. Could you exper- uh, 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 share that one with the truck? When oh, you- I had more than one. Yeah, um, but uh, that one which you have shared with me. Um, yeah, no, I, I, driving a truck, you, you're putting all... Especially in Colorado, mountains. I've come down mountains on icy roads where the back end of the truck starts to catch up with the front end of the truck. That's not a good thing. No. Uh, the only thing you can do is uh, give it gas and go faster and try to keep the, the cab in front of the the trailer, um, wow. which most people would think put on the brakes, but that's not the way to do it. That's mm-hmm. happened to me. Wow. Um, my very first night as a truck driver on a long haul uh, was tandem with um, uh, an experienced driver. And it was probably one of the worst nights to ever be on the road. We ended up in a storm and a blizzard and trucks were going off the road and everything else. That was my welcome into the world. Um, And I managed to get through that. But I think the one you're referring to is uh, the drunk driver um, who attempted to take me out on a little road in Missouri, if I recall correctly. And um, I had just dropped my load in in the in some little town, and uh, was uh, dead heading out, which was an empty load, um, to another place. And I had just come out of the town, and I was going up in gear, and, and speed was getting up, and everything else. When a um, a car it was a little little teeny two lane road. This car uh, decided to play. It was a van. Decided to play chicken with me, and. Uh, realizing that there was either something you know seriously wrong medically or or otherwise with the person behind that wheel i remember my training told me uh, at all cost avoid a head-on collision um and that was the only thing that could go through my mind at that time and the only thing i could do was to go to the left and cross over that lane into the ditch on the other side of the road and by this time i had gotten it up to probably about speed limit 55 and i ended up and i had a brand new truck at this time too i mean brand spanking new a hood international i ended up sideways in the ditch but not so far sideways that the truck rolled over and i managed to uh, maintain and handle that truck and get it out of the ditch back up on the road again um, before it, it flipped or rolled or got stuck. And um, I remember coming back up on the road and parking. Um, I crossed the, 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 the lane again and come, um, come on the other side and parked. And I mean, I was shaking in my shoes. I was just, 
I couldn't, um, I just, I couldn't imagine that that just happened. And I got out and, um, and I looked and the traffic coming from the opposite direction had stopped dead in their tracks. And I looked around and I saw that the van driver had, which had crossed my path, had jumped the ditch on the right hand side of me and wrapped his van around a tree, which was right next to a glass plate window in a building, which was a salon where there was a woman's baby in a little baby chair. I mean, it was just, uh, it was so surreal. I mean, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But no one got killed. No one got killed. And um, I remember... You must have some really badass angels. Oh, man. Well, not only me. You know, one of the first things I thought about when I got back on, on the road on the other side and I looked at all the traffic that had stopped, I said, oh, my God, I could have killed so many people if they hadn't stopped bringing the truck back up on the road. Um, but I mean, I, it was instinctive and there was really nothing else I could do, but try to maintain control of that truck. I actually, (laughs) I actually had somebody come up to me afterwards and um, uh, so hard, sorry. Um, they, in, I don't remember the words, but they basically commended me for the way that I handled that situation because they too knew that a lot of people could have been killed that day. And then you had to just jump um, back behind the wheel and... Well, it's a little bit more to it than that. You know, went over to go check on the other driver and, and uh, apparently he was a local town drunk. So he he took off and I checked on uh, the lady in the shop and her kid and they were fine. I used the phone to call the police. They showed up. They knew that they, they knew whose van it was. I went and got him, brought him back, said, is this him? And I said, yeah. And they took him away. In the meantime, I called my dispatch and told them what had happened. And uh, they asked if the truck was okay. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, then get in it and get on down the road. So um, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So I had to get back in the truck and go to my next stop. Yeah. Wow. Do you think if you hadn't gone into the trunk, uh, truck right away, you would have continued driving the truck? or? You know, they always say, you know, if you fall off the horse, get back on and keep riding again. And it was probably a good thing to do that. Um, I certainly didn't want to. And had I really been given a choice, I might not have got in. I might have sat and, and uh, stewed on it for a little bit longer. But I actually believe it was probably because I wasn't hurt. Nobody else was hurt. Um, the truck, you know, I, I had some grass stuck up underneath the bottom side, but nothing was hurt. Um, it, it was the right thing to do. It was, you know, lucky, it was... Lucky accident. Yeah, very, very. I'm very grateful to those angels. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So we could meet. Yep. So now let's go to one of my favorite topics, which is relationships. Okay. So you have actually been also married before. I have. And, uh, two times. I have. And um, could you tell us about uh, relationships, um, those past relationships, and now we are married. So what have you learned about these kind of relationships and um, is there any tips and tools you would like, you know, share with our listeners or viewers about that? 
Well, the first time I got married, I was too young and I got married for the wrong reasons. And, um, and it wasn't, you know, it started off okay, but, um, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of red flags and indicators. And, you know, I tried sticking it out for a while to make sure that Christopher, who was, um, uh, you know, six months at the time when, when I got together with his mother, when I was trying to, you know, provide, you know, a good life for him and, and, and it was just getting more and more difficult. So, um, we ended up, uh, separating and getting divorced while I was away during desert storm, which it was very painful, but it was something that needed to happen. Um, so I do look back on that and realize that I did get married for the wrong reasons and, um, should have never done it. Um, so I, I learned, you know, to, pay more attention and to be a little bit more diligent in, you know, making sure that I am making the right decision. Uh, the next time I got married, um, I wasn't looking, um, kind of like how you and I met, I wasn't looking and I had no interest or no desire. And it started off more as a, a friendship, which grew relatively quick. And, um, and then that, that relationship was 23 years and, um, it was, it was a great relationship. Um, very, very grateful for it. Not very happy with the way it ended up at the end. Um, what happened? um, well, I, I was at my office, my home office one day and, and, uh, working on a project and I opened my computer and there was a picture of my wife kissing another man. So, um, she had decided that she needed to go explore and find herself and she needed to do it without me. And, um, and it was, a it was kind of difficult for me. And unfortunately there, there'd been something in the past that just made it even, uh, made that even more difficult. And I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't deal with it. I had to, I had to leave and go try to process it because she was up in Alaska and I was at, in, at our house in California and she was coming back to California. So I, I just couldn't be there. And that's actually, um, how you and I met. I went down to the boat in December of 2014, trying to process it. And, and there you were in La Cruz processing some of your own stuff. And again, not there for any intention and we found each other and became each other's support system through that process. And, and it proved to be a most interesting next year. And, and, uh, we, we got through that and, and then decided that we kind of took a liking to each other and, and we did work well together. And, and, uh, we wanted to, we wanted to start and grow our own relationship, but we also knew that we had to continue to build and strengthen our own individual platforms, which was very, very important because without strong individual platforms, you can't create a solid foundation for a together platform. And you knew that I knew that. And, and, um, we agreed to make that happen and we did. Yeah. It took actually quite uh, several years yep. before we actually got married. So yep. we really worked through, um, releasing the past and figuring out like, okay, now we have a new page and, um, what's, what's the next mission? What's the next destination? Mm -hmm. And, and then uh, we figured it out, clarified it, and um, we even made that five-page contract. Can we you did. tell a little bit about that? Some well, people hear about it and like, wow, this is like relationship as a business. Like, what are you guys doing? Well, you know, 
if you think about it in a business when you have an agreement with somebody you normally have it in writing because what that does is if there's ever any doubt it's in writing you both agreed to it so what you do is you think about the things that need to be on paper and you put them on paper you discuss it you agree on them and you sign it and we had at the time you were going back to Estonia, I was going to uh, Alaska, um, you know, so we're going to be apart. There were certain things that we needed to do and we didn't and we needed not to happen. And and we we made it um, a responsibility to each other to make sure that, you know, your desires and my desires were met by fulfilling this this so-called contract. And. And if there was any doubt, we could revert back to it and look at it and say, oh, it, you know, we did decide to do it this way. And we left it open, one, that we reviewed every two years. But two, if we got to a point where we looked back at it and we decided that, oh, well, maybe we need to rewrite that and do it different. That was, you know, that was a given. So the biggest things were, you know, communication and and actually that's probably the biggest thing, which you wouldn't think necessary to write into a contract. But so many people forget about that. Um, you know, we wrote it in there. So there's no doubt in our mind that we need to communicate. And there's no doubt in my mind that if there's something else in there that we're not certain about, we can go back to it. And if it's not there, then maybe it's something that we had, or if it's there and it's not the way that you and I want it, we can adjust it. So it, it, it was an important tool for us to take it to the next level. Yeah, and uh, part of that was also our discovery about the five love languages, mm -hmm. right? That our love languages are very uh, different. Yep. And um, how we can support each other. Like my main ones are affirmations and mm -hmm. gifts, and yours are different, like service and quality time. And mm -hmm. um, so, um, so many times people think that, you know, um, these are my my languages. If I want the other person love me, I just do what I love, and then comes out that uh, they actually have something different they want. Well, and, and, and you that, had you had an insight with that in connection with your previous marriage, Can right? You? Well, after after it was, you know, we decided that we were going to split up, that we were going through the process of divorce. We actually sat down because twenty two of the twenty three years have been phenomenal. We actually most people figured we would be the couple that would go forever and we were living the life that most people only get to dream for. So I have no problems there, but we knew that something had broken um, and it broke fast because we never even had an argument before that last period. So we actually sat down and we wanted to discuss it. And one of the things that we did was decide that we were going to do the the five love language test, the free test. And I'd, I'd never heard of five love languages before that. And in conclusion of that, what I found was, yes, I shared my love and there was no doubt about that on either part. Yes, I provided a, a service, uh, which is one of the love languages that was far exceeding most anybody else's um, because, you know, for example, when she wanted to get a degree, I said, don't worry about anything else. Uh, I'll take care of the house and the chores and everything else. You focus on that. So that's a form of service. Um, and she was very grateful for that. But in the in the passion area, and, and it's not that I didn't do it because I did, you know, cards and and, and uh, flowers and, and, you know, words and everything else. But she needed more. And, and differently. And differently. 
And I didn't know that. And um, that's the point for women to express that, right? Yeah. So one, there's that communication thing. Um, it, you know, I'm pretty intuitive. Uh, and, but I honestly thought I was giving what was needed. enough love. And because I was given my whole heart, um, I just wasn't giving it the way that it was needed. And it, it created, it created a problem. And then on the flip side, it created a problem that wasn't discussed. And by the time it, it became a problem for her, it had festered and it blew up. Um, I remember our first real argument. It was in the airport on the way to Las Vegas for a, 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 a marathon event. And we'd never had an argument like that before. And this was in the, you know, the final year of our relationship. We'd never experienced that before. And quite honestly, uh, not so wise on my part, is I kind of dismissed it because we'd never had that before. And I figured that we would talk about it later and that we got through it at that point and we were going on this little mini vacation. So I just, I let it go. And all that did was add fuel to the fire and made things even worse. But I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with it or handle it. And I didn't think it was as big a problem as it really was, you know, again, the communication thing. So it was, I learned a lot and I try to implement those things that I learned into today's life. So I do know that Crystal, uh, you know, her love language is affirmation. So I try to be better at that because it's not as easy for me to do that. So I'm conscious about it and I try to, you know, I make an effort. So another new thing which has come like a new layer or level um, into relationships is also we are now opening our things a little more up. And last summer we also uh, were doing the first baby steps, kind of uh, opening it up to open relationship. And mm -hmm. you got to experience um, something different. Um, would you like to say some words about that too? Like how is it? for a married man and then have a wife who says like, yeah, go out for a date and have fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, that's most guys can only dream about that. Um, but in a conscious relationship and we have a contract about that and right? we do have a contract. Half about of the contract is about those things like right. what to do. <laughs> right. Right. And there's do's and don'ts and, and right and wrong and, and everything else. And, we both feel as if that the amount of love that we have to share and give doesn't necessarily need to be limited. And quite honestly, we believe that the more we're able to share, the brighter we shine. So, um, you know, that that's kind of the philosophy behind our, our you know, our openness. So and, it, and it's to this day still in its infancy. Um, infancy um but it's something that we talk about it's something that we're conscious about it's something that we have agreements on and um you know and I, it felt like it really expanded you like you said like um shining more and also that ability that you don't need to you know uh, shy anything away or hide anything you can do it openly and uh, even i went to meet that woman so mm -hmm. uh, it was really open transparent and um, uh, this is also something people 
can kind of think is, you know, um, what kind of relationships do I want? And um, what does a relationship mean for you yourself? And then create those exactly as it works for you. And then, of course, you probably have to test and try many things because these things are uh, kind of new in general. Oh, sure. Sure, sure. Well, like anything, I mean, it's baby steps. Yeah. So now we have been working together and done some holistic abundance related things. Um, what have you experienced about holistic abundance and what have you, um, something you have say, to say about that? To me, holistic abundance is, it's obvious. Um, but I know it's not obvious to a lot of other people and I believe you've, you said it either earlier in this one or in the intro one. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, it's merely money or it's merely, you know, a single thing. And holistic abundance is so much more than that. Um, it's the blue skies and the sunshine and the the family and friends that we have. It's, you know, it's the, the air that we breathe. I mean, that's all abundance. And to create holistic abundance, you need to have everything aligned. And it doesn't mean that you won't have a holistic abundance, but if if you're limited, um, typically if you if you have a blockage or you're limited, then it's you know it's something that you can work through to expand that overall holistic abundance. And holistic abundance is just it's a big pool of abundance. You know, it's not just one thing, or it's not just a couple of things, and it's not just a little bit of things. It's you know it, it's expansive and it continues to expand. And yeah, and if if one area is stuck, it influences the whole. You know, it's absolutely if, if it's a pool or ocean. You know, if something is out of balance, the whole um, all of the rest will feel it. It's just like that snowball analogy. You know, you start with a, a small snowball in your hands, and then you put it on the snow and you roll it. And yes, it will get bigger, but it's going to take some effort. Well that's normally because that there's something else going on there and it, you're not in full alignment. And when you figure that out, the best analogy I have is when you figure that out, it's, it's the time when the snowball goes over the edge and starts rolling down the hill, it becomes much uh, easier or greater ease. Uh, it will move faster. You're going to have momentum and it's going to get bigger faster. So, you know, when we work with people with the uh, uh, you know abundance wheel, we typically will be able to help map um, an area that they have a blockage in, and that sometimes many. Yeah, sometimes many, and that normally opens up and expands their overall holistic abundance. And a lot of people will come to us and say, you know, I'm I'm stuck in you know. I can't get past this earning or I need to, I need to do some, you know, I need to earn some more money so I can do a vacation. And the only thing I can think about is working a second job or everything else. And that's the, the normal thought process is, you know, to, to go work extra hours or take on another job or what have you. And a lot of times that's not necessarily what's needed. Uh, your life purpose, life mission, if you're not following it, maybe you should follow it and it will actually add to what you're doing or replace what you're doing. If and but, also if, maybe bring it in easier. Yeah, you bring it in easier. If if you if you have a, a troubled relationship, you're not getting the support system, you're getting that resistance. You know, chances are where you think you're stuck is not actually where you're stuck. And when you map it and you find out what it is and you work through it, you'll normally find that you're going to get right past that and it's going to expand. Yeah. 
So in connection to that, we actually, during Corona, uh, we put our heads together and created a program called Reinvent Yourself. We did. And one of the things we realized was that people, um, the main areas where they get stuck, especially with crisis like that, so relationship with yourself and mm -hmm. yourselves, like we believe that you have the inner archetypes, like the inner man, inner woman, inner child. And then um, as you improve that and heal these relationships, everything outside of you will heal. And then we uh, focused a lot about the life uh, mission and life purposes, which is also when you activate and find out your talents, it will come much easier. You will enjoy it much more. Energy starts to flow. And then we put a lot of focus on also finances and uh, how to manage and handle finances and also how you do this will influence your future because Absolutely. many people got really stuck and paralyzed by fear and they couldn't really see the future anymore or even like you had in your previous example like when you are in so many difficulties you actually you're so paralyzed you stop dreaming mm -hmm. but in your case you were dusting off these dreams and your dreams were actually your lifeline into Save the me. future, yeah. Yeah, which created your new life and your new relationships mm -hmm. and your businesses and mm -hmm. so on. So um, this has been such an enjoyable uh, process for both of us. When we started to write it, we, we took just 19 days. We put it together. Yep. It was like amazing. <clears throat> we did webinars and uh, people started to uh, see the value in that. And that masculine, you know, you were doing a lot of that, you know, the formalizing and practical, the language. Mm -hmm. And then I brought in the ideas and wrote it. And then we were kind of fusing and dancing with it. And it came all together. We make a great team. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And um, this is um, what I think also this lesson from the crisis is that we all have to learn to get to know these polarities, the masculine and feminine, because when the feminine is completely stuck, then the masculine can't really manifest. So if if I wouldn't have, you know, sat down and wrote those things, then you couldn't have edited and right. uh, put it to the next level. So it's like hand in hand, this dance. Yeah. The process. It, it definitely. Yeah, it's exactly it. Um, and then also activating the inner family in that. So, um, you know, our inner children were very happy. Like uh, suddenly there was something playful, a new thing. Your inner man was like, you know, like yeah. <laughs> getting really out there and very excited. And the inner woman was, uh, both of our inner women were very happy because finally someone was like uh, listening yeah. to the messages. And, you know, mindset is a big part of it. But what people don't realize is if your inner family's in turmoil, it's hard for your mind to function. If you're so paralyzed with fear, it's hard for your mind to function. So, yes, mindset is a big part of it. And if you start to work on that inner family and you get your inner family and that, you know, everything aligned, all of a sudden it's like a load off of your shoulders. Mm -hmm. So that fear comes down. Um, your mindset changes. So it, it kind of all works together. Um, you can't just have one little piece of it you kind of need to you kind of need to work on all of it it's a, like a dynamic yeah. process uh, yeah. all together like in synchro synchronicity mm -hmm. 
Um, so now you as a man, like first time when I shared this idea about the inner family, I believe actually that the reason why we met was because I started to work with my inner family, especially with my inner man. My inner man just said like, Christo, you need to go to Mexico. And then um, I was actually my inner woman and the inner man was like, okay, let's make the tickets happen and let's go, you mm -hmm. know. And I trusted it. I showed up and I was there one and a half years until you showed up. I had no idea that that was the plan, but I trusted my inner woman and uh, here we are. Yep. So when you first, when I told about the inner family, what did you think? Like, oh my God, now I met the crazy person. She has invisible friends and talks to the invisible friends. Like, oh my God, this is even crazier than my first marriage. <laughs> well, you know, it reminds me of our interview um, with Ovelette. How, how do you say Otulette. Otulette. <laughs> In Estonia. Yeah. Um, uh, where the, the main interviewer thought she was going to, you know, know yeah, mm -hmm. she thought she was going to throw me under the bus because her first question to me was, so what do you think about your wife marrying herself? Did that like, you know, she just thought I was like, couldn't believe it. And I said, no, 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 I fully supported it. I knew about it. And she didn't understand that. So it was just like, uh, okay. And then, and then everything kind of changed again. So it was like, for the me, whole mindset changed. Everything changed, yeah, like she right on like the spot. Yeah, right on the spot. Yeah. Um, no, I might not fully understand it, but that doesn't mean I'm not open to it. In fact, um, it's part of you know a lot of people also say you know culturally you have differences and doesn't that make a challenge? No, in fact, it makes it. Yeah, it makes it a challenge, a fun challenge, because I get to, you know, learn something new and experience something new. And it's the same with inner family and it's the same with, you know, you marrying yourself. And it's so these are things that, you know, for me, unless it's something that's going to cause harm, I, I don't have the right to say that it doesn't exist or I don't believe in it or anything else. I would much rather say, okay, show me what it is and let me judge whether it's something that, you know, I, I can be a part of or that I might, you know, so to me, uh, it wasn't about you being nuts or talking to yourself or anything else. It was like interesting, you know, so tell me more. And, and, and then you had the experience meeting them yourself, which when was we, amazing. Yeah, when we, we, we did our... Um, one of our courses, in fact, this time of year, two years ago, I think was mm -hmm. the, that one. Yeah. Uh, Tantra Fest Estonia two years ago this month. Um, I think it was our third workshop. It was our final workshop of yeah. the event, a week long event. Today is actually uh, High on Life um, uh, Tantra Festival. This year they don't do it, but it's today is the family day. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I've seen all kinds of posts. But anyhow, we, we did the third course that we did or third class that we we did was the inner family and um man i can say a lot about the 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 whole thing it was so powerful and the the results and the guy that came up to us at the end who who cried through the whole process and came up to us and thanked us and said this is something that he's going to take home to his five children and teach them i mean it was it was just unbelievable but the experience that chris was talking about was I'm I'm the space holder. I, you know, I'm the support, the space holder. I do help with some of the instruction and everything else, but my main gig is to hold space. And 
I've, I'm there holding space and it's the beginning of this and Crystal's taking everybody on, on a journey. So it's, it's more of a meditative uh, journey and there's not a whole lot that I need to do and I can hold space, you know, when there's not a whole lot of craziness going on. Um, so I decided to join the journey and I, you know, I went down the steps and, you know, went out and visited my, my inner family and, and I followed the journey. And when I found my inner family, it was unbelievable. They were, um, this green meadow, trees, blue skies, sunshine, picnic blanket, full-blown picnic, you know, standing up, playing, you know, all just in great harmony, love, joy. I mean, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe where I, where the journey had taken me. So I really met my, my inner family for the first time that day, and they were, they were in complete harmony and I had no idea. Um, but what it told me was I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Your life mission. Yeah. 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 So supporting the, and holding space and yeah. co-creating yeah. all that. Yeah. So that so, was a very powerful moment. That was a very powerful moment and it was a very powerful event, but yes. Yeah. And that's one of the things which we have been now experimenting is that, you know, when two people come together, you actually have three people here, like three um, inner family members, inner child, inner woman, inner man, and then you have yours. Mm -hmm. So when ours met, so my inner man was first like very hesitant, um, even though it was like his task to make me find Michael. He was also now suddenly everything is about Michael said, so Michael this, Michael that, come on, Crystal, I've been with you like all these 40 something years and now Michael is everything, you know. So it was like kind of, you know, doing like this, like I'm still important, I'm I'm with you, like no matter if Michael is here or not. So mm -hmm. don't like, you know, push me over the edge. And um, that was a good reminder because yeah. oftentimes when we jump into a relationship, we may kind of, you know, go overboard. Not intentionally, but yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. just like a natural thing. And then um, both of our inner family members are uh, getting really, you know, acquainted with each other, uh, getting along. And I remember this moment when we were in Hawaii and we were, uh, we decided that we move before we actually moved from Hawaii to our friend's place. And my inner child didn't want to move. It, it was just so hesitant and kind of against it. So I said, Michael, I can't really pack anything or start the process, you know, uh, we need to talk mm -hmm. like through my inner child. And, and then we try to bring all these different things, um, you know, in the new place, we have this beautiful hammock, you can sit there, you can see the ocean. Plumerias, ocean Plumerias, view. Yeah. Um, and there is this crazy um, big tree, you can like, you know, uh, climb on top of that. It's on the top a of the hill. stressful environment. Yeah, on top of the hill so we can bicycle up, you know, a little challenge. Yeah. And once we did it, um, it was like my inner child was on board. And many of the times also later when uh, one of the times you took me to a surprise uh, flight uh, with the little, what was the plane, Cessna? Oh, the one recently? Yeah. Yeah, a little, I think it was a Cessna 172. Yeah, so we went there and, of course, there was a pilot and I thought that lady was the pilot and then suddenly Michael sat in a pilot seat 
And my inner child just freaked out. It was like on the back seat and holding like, oh my God, we're going to crash, we're going to crash, you know. And then I had to uh, talk to my own inner family and inner, inner man, but also ask Michael's inner man, like, uh, can you assure me that it's fine, you know, and then that's what, what it did. And then also I started to ask questions from the instructor and came out that she's very experienced and we were in good hands. And then I just kind of calmed down. And another situation was the air balloon um, experience. I was also like, oh my God, what am I doing? I've done this before once, but maybe probably with age, I'm a little more like careful. So I was like, oh my God, we can crash, you know, like, you know, this, this is no kidding. And then also I had to talk through my inner child. I had to talk to the captain of the balloon and like I figured out like he had done it for 25 years. Uh, he knew it very well. And then kind of being close to Michael, like, you know, don't let us crash and then kind of, uh, you know, talking to your inner man. So it came out nice. Yep. Very nice uh, surprises. Yep. Yeah. And more to come. Yeah. So now to finalize, um, if people think like uh, very nice. Um, so Michael, what would you suggest people maybe three tips how to make abundance in action work in their lives? Like uh, what are those three steps or tips or tools you can give to them? Well, first and foremost, I mean, you, you've got to define your dreams and goals mm -hmm. um, you, and you've got to have them. So, and if you don't know, what they are just think of something simple that you know you can start make, with. makes you excited to get up in the morning um it could be a little trip it could be a car it could be a house it could be you know retirement it could be you know paying for a kid's tuition to college you know whatever it is whatever is going to give you joy and pleasure um you know put it put it up on the wall put it you know if it's a car, you know, get a picture and put it up on the wall, you know, vision, we believe in vision boards. So have a dream or goal that will excite you to get up in the morning and work towards those things. And then when you do that, you know, don't, don't just put it up there and not do anything. You have to take action. Um, and the best way to take action is to, to do the steps, write them out that are necessary to make it happen. So, you know, and you can go to my website, uh, goalsettingbasics.com, and there's examples. But, you know, whether you want to lose a few pounds or whether you want to take a vacation, you know, if you want to take a vacation, you know, let's say next year it's going to be to Europe. And, you know, you know it's going to cost you, you know, $5,000, um, you know, on top of the airline tickets and everything else. Well, part of the planning is looking for the tickets and seeing how much they are and then budgeting for them, looking at the hotels or place you're going to stay and see how much they are and budgeting for them. Well, there are other ways too. You can do couch surfing. You can do, you can go as a work away. Yeah. So yeah. you can actually, there, you, you can house it. Yeah. There's know? people looking for the housing. So, yeah. so you, you know, can if, cut the cost. Yeah. Out, so if uh, you're really on a tight budget, there's other, or you can find friends. I mean, when we stayed, when we went to England, you, the first night we stayed at a hotel and the last night we stayed at a hotel and all in between we stayed with friends and we saw a big chunk of England. So, you know, there's ways to do it. And that's stuff that needs to be on 
the the stair step goal list as well as part of the plan because obviously you need to talk with them and and plan it so that it works out for everybody and then whatever the monetary thing is you take if it's 12 months from now and it and it's five thousand dollars you divide it by you know 12 and figure out how much money you need to put aside every month so you know just you know the dream and goal is the number one thing that you have to have up on the wall and then and then the plan um and taking action on it is the, the number two the small steps really helps because the first time i got an idea to go to hawaii which seemed like so impossible imagine from estonia you know uh, and in 2009 which was you know uh, everything was collapsing financially mm-hmm. and economically and I just felt I had to go and I put that, um, you know, um, goal and step by step, I activated my talents more. And then um, every time I had to pay the next payment, the payment was there. And that trip, which was um, first time so far away on the other side of the mm-hmm. world, liter- literally mm-hmm. 13 hours time difference and so on actually changed my life completely. I learned a new water therapy. I I came through my water fear. I got to know Hawaii. I fell in love with Hawaii. And thanks to that, so many other things happened. And I returned to Hawaii like almost yearly, sometimes even twice a year. And every time when people said to me, Crystal, you're crazy. Why do you go to Hawaii? It's like one used car per trip, you know? I said, you know, I get to know myself, I become a better person, I get new connections, I swim with wild dolphins, like where else can you do this, you know, and I have become such a, so much better woman, a businesswoman, partner, you know, um, sister, mother, all of these different roles, because I dare to jump jump out and, you know, uh, follow my dreams. And all the things that you did to make sure that happened, as scary as they might have been, they were also things that kept that fire ignited and made it more exciting because everything got you a step closer to it. So that's another reason for having these steps, you know, um, whether it's, uh, you know, little mini rewards along the way or things that are going to keep you fired up and excited in order to, to get the end result. Yeah. So we hope that today's um, episode was inspiring, motivating, uh, you know, getting your legs into the right direction and starting to take the first steps um, so that your abundance can also uh, take action and help you to uh, fulfill your dreams so that the dreams can uh, turn into reality on your terms. Mm -hmm. So um, please uh, share the episode with as many people as you know, and also let us know comments, questions, uh, ideas, suggestions. If you have um, any other ways you would like to support our podcast, uh, let us know. And uh, welcome to this uh, beautiful new journey with both of us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Mahalo. Thank you for coming. Mahalo.